don't know. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the the ways we expect people will communicate in the workplace are also filled with bias, right? We have an expectation around what sounds professional um, or what's a professional kind of conversation to have with your leader or with your manager. And I think it's important as leaders that we help people to know that like one conversation won't make or break their whole career or whole expectation of them. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, a network of podcasts that covers a wide range of topics with interesting conversations, all designed to help you grow. Today, we have Katie McLaughlin with us, and she is the founder of an organization called The McLaughlin Method, and they provide leadership and culture transformation for startups and other organizations. The great part about their work is they use theater-based exercises, which based upon Katie's background in theater. Today, we're gonna talk about building culture, navigating change in an organization, what it really means to build engagement. We're gonna talk about how we can get past checklists and actually get down to the business of building those more authentic cultures. Everything from how we communicate, and we love this one, really important is understanding the reality of the ways that assumptions and biases show up in our leadership, our communication, our perspectives, and all of our decision-making. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so thrilled to be back here today. We have Katie McLaughlin with us. And what I love already about Katie without beginning the conversation is we're going to talk about culture, which we love. We're going to talk about leadership. We love even more. But she's bringing the concept of theater to leadership and culture. And Craig and I are both big theater folks. Oh, yeah. So we're already excited about maybe the theater conversation more than leadership today. No, that's not possible. Nothing more fun. <laughs> Nothing's more fun than leadership. So Katie, uh, she is, she helps, uh, uh, let me, Katie starts mature startups, build leadership and culture and create transformation. And this is something that is really intriguing. She helps leaders create inclusive cultures, build emotional intelligence, and work through their assumptions and biases so they can actually connect with and get the most out of their team. She does this through interactive, experiential, theater-based exercises. I love this. She has a bias for action. So her attendees leave uh, sessions with at least one action item to immediately go to shift something. God, she's got all the right words here, Craig. I'm I know. Ready. I'm drooling over here. Yeah. To shift something in your behavior, relationships, and company. Working with Katie, organizations benefit from the powerhouse combo of her theater background and over 15 years in the heart of business strategy, organizational development, and change management. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I always love talking about theater. So it's going to be fun today. <laughs> yeah, looking forward we'll, to the conversation. We'll, we'll try not to go down that road because that's all we'll do. Um, so Katie, 
give everybody a little bit of the Katie McLaughlin background story. Yeah. So, I mean, potentially no surprise. I went to school uh, and got a theater degree and I, I didn't go to a conservatory program. I actually went to, uh, you know, a liberal arts school and, you know, was in the honors program and, you know, did all the other courses in addition to taking theater. And while I was there, I learned this body of theater techniques that have just really stuck with me. And I'm like, how can I bring these to more people and give more people this transformational experience of understanding the perspective of others and, and being able to know yourself better so you can then you know, be a better uh, human in all the ways you show up in the world. Human. Yeah. And so, you know, from that point, I, I knew that I didn't want to actually just move to New York and try to make it on on uh, on Broadway or whatever. And I had bills to pay and student loans to pay and uh, needed health insurance. And so, you know, I kind of had this a little bit of a meandering bit in my career where I went from nonprofits to education, um, but then accidentally found myself in the startup world. Um, and that's where the rest of my career was uh, before starting my business. And what I loved about startups was that promise of a great culture. We're working on cool, exciting things. Um, You know, we're trying to rewrite the script around what does it mean to be uh, a company, a team, you know, all of that. And um, it was through that, that I built my career in learning and development, organizational development, change management. I've always been a process improvement gal as well. And, you know, through that, I realized that many of these companies were making these claims about culture, but the delivery, their execution was not always super strong. And, and so that's when I realized that like my theater background was part of what helped me to be a better leader. And it was part of how I was able to connect better with different folks. And so those are the skills that I teach within my, within my business and within my programs. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's so much more energy in a startup than, uh, you know, some of the other types of businesses, but taking, taking that whole performance mentality into a high performance requirement, you know, of what, what is in a startup. I mean, startups, you have to do a little bit of everything. It's not, I mean, you know, depending on the size, but typically you don't just have one little minor function. Right. And everybody plays an important part. Right. Yeah. And, and that's very true to theater as well, where like it doesn't matter where you are in a production. Um, you're just as important as the people who are on stage and getting all the accolades. And mm-hmm. I felt like that was also some of the energy that startups try to capitalize on. Right. That we do need people who are in all these different roles and that we're going to need you to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, the fast paced nature of startups is all, can also be very exciting and alluring. Uh, but it also is really quick to find burnout. So, you know, finding that balance. And I just, I really believe in what startups are trying to do and how they talk about the culture they want to build, but I want to help them get there better. Right. Because I've still dealt with toxic leaders. I've still dealt with toxic teams, you know, where there's weird power dynamics at play in these teams. Um, And all of that goes back to people's experience of culture and what it's like to work there. And so they're being sold one bill of goods and getting something all different. (laughs) Yeah. So Katie, I'm really glad you added that piece in there about making claims, because as you were talking about startups and culture, I'm thinking, Hmm, my experience is that 
a lot of startups don't even think about culture <laughs> because they're so busy starting up. And the ones that say they are, it's a lot of talk. So can yeah. you say more about that uh, disconnect between a, perhaps a good intention around culture, but not so much a great execution around culture? So one of my favorite examples, and I will anonymize this to not throw anybody under the bus, but you know, this one company that I would love to work with has uh, a really in-depth people page on their website where they're like, we are building a great team. Oh, and we happen to have a great product. And I feel like that is kind of the way that most startups are, are handling kind of the people, uh, like the people recruitment and the people branding messaging for, for their company. And then I, then I take that same company and go look them up on Glassdoor <laughs> and, you know, their overall Glassdoor rating is, you know, above four. So that's good. The highest uh, you can get is five. This? Okay. So five. Okay. Yeah. Highest you can get is five. So they're above four. So that's good. Quote unquote. But if you look at their trends of scores over the last two years, which we know there's been a lot of upheaval in the workplace and not everybody's weathered it very well. Mm -hmm. um, their review trajectory tanked and tanked two different times over the last two years. Wow. And so mm -hmm. while granted, it's going to be the people that are, um, you know, not the loudest, um, you know, the detractors tend to speak the loudest. Right. Um, so that is always colored with, you know, a certain person's expectation experience. But if people, if anybody is saying that it's rough to work there, that's likely the experience of more folks than are even talking about it. That's a great point. So it's interesting what you said. Um, I had to make a note about that, that, that these organizations, what popped in my head was they've all must have watched Simon Siddick start with why <laughs> because they're going, by the way, we have this great product. <clears throat> so they found this script. So they've got a good script using your theater language, but there it's a whole different play is being produced. What's the, what would you say? Is there a core reason for that disconnect or are there many factors to that? It's definitely multifaceted. And, you know, I think we tend to think of a company like it's a static thing, right? <laughs> but it's not, and, and neither is culture, right? The culture within a company is heavily influenced by the leadership, the senior leadership and all the other levels of leadership. And then on your team and the way that the teams interact with each other. And that is an ever-changing, living, breathing thing. It's not this one static thing. And, you know, I think most startups, they're moving so fast that they aren't taking time to have the important, potentially non-urgent conversations. If you've ever seen that, like, you know, four box of important to urgent, right? Mm -hmm. They're focusing on the urgent and sometimes the not important things, but they anything that's urgent, the startups focus on. But they're missing all of these really important conversations yeah. of, you know, how, how are we living our values day to day, month to month, you know, year to year. And they're gathering data from their teams, like an engagement survey, um, but they're not doing anything with that data. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I've been part of seven startups myself and having been 
on the leadership team of several of those, it's interesting because when you get things started, you're thinking, okay, I have this product, I have this market and and we're going to go after that. Right. And then as you start building things up, you realize, wow, you know, I need some team. And then you put in the team and then you're thinking, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to take care of my team. And so that's an afterthought. It's that thing that you get to when you have a chance to. Fast forward to later companies that I've been a part of, and it all starts with the people. And, and it's, it's kind of like the uh, good to great, where he talks about, we want to get the right people on the bus and then figure out where the bus is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's because startups go from, you know, potentially one person shop or, mm-hmm. you know, four people in a garage, right? Since they go from that all the way up to, you know, company with hundreds of hundreds or even thousands of people, it's the explosion and the growth point tends to be really fast and really hot at different times. And we just, we don't do change well (laughs) in most areas of our lives. Like as humans, we hate change. Uh, We think we're good at it, but we're really not. And so most of these organizations also aren't thinking about the change management and like the messaging and how things will change and shift over time. And so that high growth time, it's just like, Everything is just, everything's on fire all the time. Well, I think that's where, you know, Jeff and I would say we, we are those who like to be in the midst of change almost constantly. And so it's, we don't always think about having to tell everybody else where we're going. You know, we just expect that we're just going to be changing. Yeah. And there is that expectation that like, cool, great. The bus is moving. Come on board. (laughs) So, so Katie, I want to dig a little deeper into something you said. You talked about the last two years, and you're looking at the pattern of those responses on Glassdoor. And I think you referenced two events, not events, but two bumps. But I don't think you talked about it. What were the two, would you say, are those two so, key inflection points, I guess? Yeah. Well, in the last two years, I mean, one of the big ones that was consistent for everyone was the start of the pandemic. Right. And depending geographically, you know, that may have shifted, that may have been early March, that might not have happened until May for some organizations. But for the most part, the big dip in employee sentiment and engagement would have happened because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. um, and the way that people responded to the pandemic. And the other point is less finite. What I've seen is that across different organizations, and especially in the startup world, there are big points that can cause a lot of strife for companies. And one can be that explosive hiring, right? Which may not be a single point in time, but I know, you know, one company that I was just reading about said that they plan to hire, um, you know, a hundred new employees in the next year, which would be, you know, 50% of what they already have now, you know, so they're going to be going uh, you know, to two, three times their normal size. So that kind of hiring, you might not feel the blip until, you know, midway through or towards the end of that hiring. The other piece is often with like a significant leadership change hmm. or with an acquisition. Cause when you're trying to integrate two different teams, yeah. uh, with that, that's the kind of under underlooked at, uh, or overlooked, you know, uh, thing with the acquisition is you're integrating two teams, not just two products. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I've seen so many times where I think the majority of of mergers fail 
to achieve the, the results that they're looking for. And how people cannot understand the people side of things in those mergers, I mean, that would be one of the first things I'd look at. Do we have a similar culture? If not, which are we taking or where are we going? How are we going to craft that? And so from, from your work, how do you deal with that? What do you, what do you recommend that people do in that process? So the first thing is to be having those conversations, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, Good start. It, those are the conversations that I expect would be having, but yeah. you know, being as part of an HR organization during one acquisition, um, you know, I saw that the conversations weren't happening. Wow. And that was very distressing, you know, from my very real point of view. And so I know that that that's happening in other organizations too. Um, there's definitely this expectation within, especially in the startup world that like, we're just going to figure it out. Right. Yes, and yes. I think that's, that's the cop-out that most leaders can find themselves in is like, they'll figure it out. Right. They're just going to have to. Um, whereas if we actually were to craft and plan an mm. integration strategy of how are we actually going to bring those people onto teams that already exist? Are we creating new teams? Can we involve people in in the, the design of that too, right? There's yeah. a wealth of knowledge and talent on your teams and totally. we don't involve them enough in, in the decision-making process. There's a lot of fear if you don't. Well, right. I, I'm feeling compelled to create a list. I have a new idea to create a list of all the phrases that whenever we hear them, we know the opposite <laughs> is true. Synergy. <laughs> well, one, yeah, one is you just, we're talking about with the mergers. You know how often, most mergers don't work. Actually, I mean, yeah. huge. Not just like fifty-one percent. Huge percent don't. But nearly every one of them, they say it's a great culture fit. Yeah, that <laughs> means it's not. You didn't talk about it. The other one is uh, I'm an ally. Yeah, that's probably not true. I have a growth mindset. I mean, we talk about this a lot. People like to talk about what they are, and not show what they are. They want to talk about their values, but not show those values. So I guess that's a transition to a question. You said living the values. What does that actually look like, Katie? Living your values versus having them on the wall. Yeah, so I'll give an example. So an example value that I've seen at a lot of companies is uh, something related to creativity or innovation, right? And so, you know, one of the ways that you could live that value of creativity would be having experiences of decision-making that are creative, right? Like are you- Theater, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right? So are you, you know, looking at different ways of doing things, you know, or do you have just kind of your standard rote experiences um, that, that are available to your employees? Are you trying to do fun things that are different with your team? Um, you know, those are some of the ways that, that you could be living out creativity, but it tends to just be that thing on a wall. Right. Or we bring it up at our annual review time and yeah. don't think about it any other time. Or we start all our meetings off by saying, OK, we're going to think outside the box today. So therefore, <laughs> we're now creating and innovating. There's another one. Right. This what box is are we really in? Long. This locks this list is getting really long. By the time yeah. we're done, we're going to have 100. The things you don't want to hear from leaders. Well, the thing is, most people don't agree on which box we're in. Yeah, I agree. You know, and but I don't think people even know that there is a box sometimes, yeah, right. right? If there is a box, if you have expectations, right? If we bring this back into other language, right? Like the box is typically expectations, 
right? Where there's expectations yeah. either on the leader side, on a senior leader side, on the individual. And you have to be articulating those expectations. That's probably the biggest challenge that I see most leaders could overcome is just simply communicating more of what's in their head. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Welcome back. So Katie, let's, let's, let's talk about something you talked about. You're talking about those expectations in the box, but I suspect that that might be moving towards the arena of what you talk about, about assumptions and biases. And those are two very different things to me, but talk about those two concepts and especially then, so talk about those two and then we'll go into how do those show up in leadership and get in our way? Yeah. So I tend to bucket assumptions and biases together because most of our biases are unconscious mm-hmm. and we're not even aware that it's happening. And that frequently also happens with assumptions. We don't realize that we're making an assumption about hmm. what somebody should or shouldn't be doing with their time or yeah. how they should be using company money or, you know, insert some other kind of scenario at work. We don't realize that we have these assumptions or that we don't realize that we also then have these biases that tend us towards, you know, giving assignments to the the top three people on your team and never giving anything creative or new to the other folks on your team. Right. Like that could like us. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, basically what I try to get at with assumptions and biases is that we're looking at taking a fresh look and a fresh perspective at our decision-making process, the, our thinking process about people, about situations, Mm -hmm. right. And our natural reactions to a situation. And once we are more aware of how we naturally respond, what might be happening inside of our heads, are we assuming, um, you know, that X person is, uh, lazy versus this other person who is productive, right. 
can we start to ask ourselves questions about that? Then we can start to shift our behavior in, in a variety of areas once we know where we're at. Okay. Bring up a great one right there that just jumped out at me, this idea of lazy versus productive without ever considering context. Right. But you ask that one question and say, well, I think this person's lazy and this person is um, super productive. Well, wait a minute. So, but if this person who you think is, you claim is productive is actually underperforming the other because the job they're doing is actually easier for them than this person. So who's really the most productive person? And I think that gets to expectations and being clear and what are those expectations and what does it mean to be a great performer? Like that's another phrase. I just, we have these high performers. I go, what the hell does that mean? Right. They're killing it. What does that mean? What do you mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, we have numbers yeah, that they have to hit and they're hitting them. But even, <laughs> but you know, I've been seeing more as I've been learning to kind of unpack my own, you know, biases, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, being a white woman, I know that I have biases and I know that I um, am complicit in, you know, um, systemic racism and, sure. um, and I'm working on all of those things. But the more I learn about that, the more I realize that traditional performance metrics have biases in them, <laughs> just full stop. You know, if we're expecting that people are going to be able to hit, you know, say a certain revenue number, if you're in sales, well, that might be different depending on their connections. That might be different depending on their communication skills. That might be different depending on the hours in the day that they're able to work, uh, which might lead to, you know, realizing that people have different family obligations. And, you know, so, so when we only look at people metrics, and performance metrics in a vacuum, we're already introducing biases towards the, the single person who has no children, who has no other obligations and can just work, you know, a lot more. Oh, that's absolutely true. I think that, you know, one of the questions I often ask when I'm doing uh, like business development, relationship building training, to get people to think, I'll say, so let me assume you've got this person and this person. And both of them generated $100,000 in revenue in the past year. One of them did that by producing, and all you know is that one of them produced 10 $10,000 project. And one of them produced one $100,000 project. That's all you know. Who's your better performer? And it makes them think, because I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer, but most people will say, well, they're equal. I'll say, no, I'm going to tell you the 10, I'll take the 10 because the other person got one big deal, but if they don't get a big deal next year, they're going to put a goose egg up there. This person to me, I make assumptions. I probably ask the next question of let's talk, let's look at their activity. I'm going to bet that this person is probably more active versus this person um, is just hitting the home run. And, and where did it come from? Like you got to ask more questions. Well, my brother-in-law is the client. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so you dialed it in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then looking at like the quality of that customer, right? Is yes, that yeah. customer sticking around? Are, are, is there growth potential within, within those sales? Right. You know, it, again, it, it's a matrix experience at work. And so our, our experience or expectation of performance should also have a matrix component. I think what happens is people try to oversimplify. 
there's complexity to business, to relationships, to people. And when we look at it and say, oh, you know, let's just dumb it down to, you know, they just have to do this and this and this, and it doesn't matter what else is going on in their lives. It doesn't matter what their actual education is. They should just come to the job knowing how to do this stuff. You know, there's a lot of assumptions that we make about what that is. And I think it also, I think we also subconsciously do that because then we don't have to think about the squishy emotional side of people. That's the fun stuff. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. But I think that's really what gets, what's really at the core of motivating yeah. us towards making it simple, right. Or, or kind of keeping emotions out of the workplace. We're human beings. We yes. cannot remove emotions from the workplace. Like they are just there. And we need to learn how to better deal with our emotions and the emotions of others in the workplace. So how do you find in an organization? So I don't know if you do this organizationally by team or, you know, just by direct reports, but how, do, how would you make that a more standardized process within an organization where people actually take time to get to know the people who they work with and ask what's going on in their lives? So generally, I prefer to work at the organizational level. We're okay. going to get the best results if we start at the top mm -hmm. and we work with executives first and then the next level of leadership and go on down from there. Uh, but I do also work one-on-one -on -one with individual leaders and also do some team health rebuilding workshops that I, I call them. Okay. Um, but, you know, the first, what I work on in the core of my workshops is helping to create that safe space where mm -hmm. people can share what is actually going on. Yeah. And anybody listening might think, oh God, I'm going to have to like bear my soul in one of your workshops. But that's where I bring in theater because none of us like talking about emotions. We don't really have great language to describe what's really going on for ourselves in our emotional conversations or in our emotional landscape. Hmm. And so theater helps us create objective situations, objective images of our reaction to a situation. And that way we're not having to say, you hurt me when you said this, right? We could instead say, okay, what if your leader were to say this phrase? Now I want everybody to, Use your body, use your facial expressions and show the biggest reaction that you have to that, you know, be as, as big as possible. And you're going to see all kinds of different versions of the similar reactions. Maybe they're afraid, maybe they're disgusted, um, you know, maybe they're excited. We could see that whole gamut of, of expression and we don't have to have them know the language that they need to use in order to communicate that. We can understand it with our eyes and how we feel. I'm curious about that, Katie, from your method standpoint. As you were talking a few years ago, I was doing a training with a construction company, which is interesting because I don't know you think about construction as the safest place to have those emotional conversations <laughs> as a category. That's an assumption. But I was teaching them to do better presentations. And one thing I did. And I do it all the time now. I stumbled into it. I said, I want everybody to get up and I want you to just start talking about something you're, that you care about. And I'll tell you when to stop. No plan, no nothing. Probably half the people got emotional talking. Yeah. 
And it wasn't because they were talking about their emotions. They were talking about something that involved emotions, and there was no way they could do it without the emotion because they went together. And I started thinking, and, and people later said, I learned so much about this person today. Like, why isn't that space there? Yeah. And I think it does take some intention, and it does take some time, but more the intention. Yeah. And I, I love what you're talking about with bringing that theatrical element to it. And I wonder, does that also, does that separate them in some way that it makes it safer because it's theater now versus a, a so-called real or what's the, what's the word critical conversation? Yeah, I think that it, it really does help create more safety. We don't immediately dive into the, okay, so what's your real emotional reaction to this maybe incendiary statement? Um, you know, we, we play a lot of games to start and we get people just seeing each other as humans again, right? We're playing, we're laughing. Um, maybe I'm having people pretend like they're a monkey and move around the room, right? Like just move your body in a different way than you do every day, you know? And, and people do feel a sense of safety and a sense of greater connection with each other before they go into some of these more even light emotional conversations. Um, you know, one exercise that I did with a, a team recently was I had them each create an image. So that's kind of the general prompt that I use, create an image using your body, facial expressions of a typical action you take at work every day. And so they created that. And then I asked them to recreate that image with how they really feel about doing that action that they do all the time. <laughs> and so you can imagine that like at first it might be kind of a static image, right? With not a whole lot of emotional feeling to it. But I asked them to add that emotional layer onto it. And then as a follow-up, this is where really the empathy really comes into play in my workshops, where each person went around, they showed their image with all that emotion and everybody had to then mirror that image, take it on, mm. feel what it felt like to wow. be in that activity and feel the, try to match their feelings. So we can fast track empathy here too, because we can not only recognize, oh, hey, that person feels this way about this thing. And now I've felt it too. It's so amazing how when we move our body in a certain way, it can actually trigger our emotions as well. So that's, that's a phenomenal exercise. Yeah. Thank you. So Katie, you've used um, a word a number of times. You probably know you have that. I want to highlight. You've talked about humans <laughs> and let's face it. There are still organizations and leaders today that don't see their people as humans. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to be simplified. Say there's three buckets. There's organizations and leaders who don't see people as humans. There's organizations who treat their people as humans. And in the middle, there's the big group that says, yeah, we know they're humans, but they don't really treat them that way. Yeah. Like, what are you finding? Is there, are you finding a pattern? And where is, the, is there a movement? Are we seeing some shift in this towards more humanity in the workplace? So the big patterns that I'm seeing are in more companies moving into the realm of realizing, oh, right, they are humans, right? And they're starting by doing the, the public things of making declarations of our people matter, 
right? They are, you know, doing the other, you know, press release kind of things around, okay, we added these new benefits. We added these new perks, right? So they're, they're trying to do what I refer to as kind of the checklist of employee engagement or HR, you know, related culture activities. What's expected. Exactly. So they're starting there, which, you know, you need to do those things. Um, But at the end of the day, culture is felt in the in-between moments. It's Mm -hmm. in the moments in between all of the activities that you throw for your team. It's in between when I, you know, need to do my open enrollment and how easy was that? You know, it, it's in the day to day of how motivated do I feel? Um, how inspired do I feel by my leaders? Do I feel like an outsider on my team? Do I feel like I have to kind of choke down any opinions I might have or, you know, not share anything and avoid conflict? All of that is that human, human experience of being an employee, being at work and how it all plays out. It's interesting. As you were talking, it made me think about um, Walt Disney and how he said that he, he acted like the bee that came and pollinated lots of different things. And so he was, he was there. And of course you, you think about theater, you know, creating that the magic, the Disney magic was, was something amazing, but he would have that influence on people. And so I guess he brought his, his energy and gave a little bit away here and there. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Right. Well, and, you know, I think a lot of leaders get caught up in the, the checklist items too, right? Like, well, I'm showing up for my team. I'm, I've got a team meeting and I have one-on-ones with my team every week, but just showing up isn't good enough anymore. You know, and it it really hasn't been for a while. You know, I I'm a millennial and you know, my generation has definitely been pressing and the generations behind me are are pressing even more yeah. for that sense of meaningful work. And that meaningful work can also just mean I feel good when I show up at work. Yeah, so give us a difference between get so I don't know if you want to act it out or if you want to just uh, say, okay, this is, this is what manager A who shows up and has those meetings versus B who shows up and is present and actually cares about his people or her people. Yeah. So manager A is probably going down a checklist of an agenda (laughs) and is saying, okay, so what are some, they might say, what are your, what are some wins you have from this week? you know, okay, great. They write them down. What do you have any challenges or any blockers right now? Okay. Well, I don't want you to worry about that. And I don't want you to worry about that. Um, and so great. Anything else? And they're also probably going to be ending their one-on-ones early. Wow. They also might be, um, multitasking, right. They're answering, you know, messages to somebody else while they're in this one-on-one. Right. And it's just a really surface level conversation. Now, I use those examples of wins and and blockers pretty specifically because those are two things that I often am coaching leaders to include as part of your one-on-ones or as part of the way you interact with your team. But there's a difference between checking the box and genuinely celebrating and recognizing the work that your team has done. You know, a genuine, gosh, thank you so much for taking on that project. I know it wasn't easy. And I really appreciate you navigating the challenge there. So thank you. 
right? Like that sounds very different than like, good job. And if you can actually see it in the eyes that they actually do mean it. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And no, I want you to ask um, Dil, um, a question about a specific scenario, but I think it plays out a lot. It's on this topic of the checklist. Last year, I worked with an organization. We're talking about change. And senior management's response was, we've done a lot to change things. The team's response was, no, you haven't. And the senior management's response was, wait a minute. We did a survey last year and asked you what you wanted. And you came up with 10 things you wanted, and we did all 10. But they were all the things you talked about. They were things like, can you change more healthy snacks in the cafeteria? They were very tangible things. And I remember, you know, it was hard because senior management said, we gave you everything you asked for. So they thought it wasn't fair. And I said, but clearly there wasn't enough trust and safety here Mm. for them to really tell you the deeper issues. Now, I believe that's on leadership. Leadership needs to dig deeper and not stop. But are you finding that there's this disconnect where both really think they're doing it right, but there's still this mess? Absolutely. You know, I, I know I've been talking about, and we've both, we've all been talking about, you know, some of the really negative, obviously negative things leaders can do. I genuinely don't believe any leader sets out wanting to be the bad leader, right? Yeah. I think every leader genuinely wants to be that leader that everybody looks up to and is considered a mentor for folks. But it takes intentionality and it takes time to really create those experiences and create those relationships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to, to do a survey, ask people what they want. It's another thing to let people tell you, right? Have a focus group, follow up add some context and some flavor to the conversation. So it's not just, I filled in these checkboxes on this survey. People are very concerned about retribution when it comes to a survey. And they are very concerned about anonymity. No matter how good you are at letting them know that it's anonymous, they're still going to question. And part of that is going to come from the fact that they had experiences in the past where it wasn't anonymous and they got burned. And so you as a leader have to acknowledge that they're bringing all of that baggage with them too. So at what point do you get beyond the anonymity and you actually have real conversations? You know, it requires trust for sure. But yeah, what, what absolutely. Well, I think the important piece is that it's got to happen either one-on-one or in small groups, right? So it really takes the entire village to help get to a place of authentic communication, authentic feedback and safety, right? So, you know, I've been a really big fan of um, Amy C. Edmondson who wrote the Fearless Organization and, you know, kind of coined the term psychological safety. Mm. And she, the way that she talks about the psychological safety and some of the examples she gives is that it's possible to have that in parts of your organization and not throughout your entire organization. And so wherever you are in an organization, if you're leading just one team, or if you're a senior leader over you know, an entire department, you can be the one who starts the change. Because as leaders, we have to model that. What we model gets repeated, good and bad. Yeah. And I guess it, it's also, let's say we're 
middle management, something like that. You know, we have somebody above us, somebody below us. And if we show that we're not going to, uh, that, that we're going to choose the kind of environment we want to be in and telling our bosses, that's not appropriate. What are, what are the people below us, so to speak, going to think as well? You know, it's that modeling, but it's also, can we do it in a respectful way? Can we, can we build the relationship to the point where we can have those honest discussions? Right. And I, I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the, the ways we expect people will communicate in the workplace are also filled with bias, right? We have an expectation yeah. around what sounds professional um, or what's a professional kind of conversation to have with your leader or with your manager. And I think it's important as leaders that we help people to know that like one conversation won't make or break their whole career or whole right. expectation of them. Yes, right. Yeah. Because I think that's the other piece of it too. Right. That we, we're all looking for the easy, the easy route to success, whatever that happens to be for us. And so as leaders, we are trying to size up our team quickly, you know, and efficiently. So we're, we're we are having to make assumptions based off of limited inputs, mm -hmm. but it's important that we're aware. Could there be another side to this? You know, could there be more color behind this assumption that I'm making about this employee. Um, right. And do I need to address some of my own stuff? Because this person triggered me when they gave mm -hmm. me that feedback. I felt bad as a leader when they said I did a crappy job. Yeah. yeah. Like we do feel like that. So Katie, we we've talked about a topic a lot today, but I don't think we've named the topic because many of the things we've talked about today would fall into the bucket of emotional intelligence. I also feel like emotional intelligence has been become too big of a bucket in the sense that if you, people say I have high emotional intelligence and they may score that, but then you look at their leadership and it's not reflective. Yeah. Where's some of the gaps and or, or where does emotional intelligence maybe end? And there's another layer that is required in leadership beyond just this label of or testing of emotional intelligence. So I don't really think it's possible for us as individuals to self self assess on how emotionally intelligent we are. <laughs> yes. Right. The, the more that we the more that I delve into this topic, the more I think about how it has to be and if we really wanted to give somebody a score, like other people around them would have to rate them. Right. And, you know, we've got, we've had this expectation and this is part of why I kind of, I've actually referred to my generation, the millennials as kind of a, um, like a crossover generation where some folks have kind of led more in the, they show up in the workplace more as it was expected of them. And then the other section of us, are trying to be more human, be more ourselves um, and challenge what does it mean to be professional in the workplace? Because, you know, I, I have this big personality. I have this gregarious, you know, personality. I know that like I can make people laugh and I'd be silly and all these different things. But, you know, I had some coworkers a number of years ago let me know that they wanted people to be able to see more of me at work. I had kind of put on this like 
leader, professional, and kind of created a bit of a wall because I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that more of us need to be aware of that. Um, You know, I know I've kind of gotten off topic from the emotional intelligence perspective, but just bringing us back, it's not just about what we see about ourselves. It's about what other people experience about us. Aren't you glad you had that feedback? I am very glad. Yeah. Well, I love that idea. I think it's such a, a great piece for everybody to keep in mind. You know, Craig and I talk about that leadership is not a position. It, it, sometimes people have a position of leadership, but leadership is how we, I show up in those. And I love that. I wrote that down. You said culture is felt in the in-between moments. Yeah, I love that. I think that's where the leadership shows up. It's in the in-between moments. It's not the obvious thing that's these in-between moments. And it strikes me that people are, they're, this emotion, they, I think, Craig, you said it earlier that we like it easy. So we have emotional intelligence tests, but what really matters is a leader keeping in mind that the only person who decides how good they are as a leader is the people that they, they serve. Absolutely. Their opinion is not just less relevant, it's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Now, is it about how we make somebody feel or is it beyond that? You know, I think it's both. We can't control how we make someone feel. We can influence it, Mm -hmm. but we can't actually control it. And that's where this this notion of like emotions in the workplace, it gets complex (laughs) because we're all bringing in our experiences of bad leaders in in the past or bad relationships that had nothing to do with work, right? We're bringing that all with us. We don't just check that at the door. It'd be great if we did, but we don't. You know, we have a baggage check area. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Jeff, we have a new new thing for our meetings. We have a baggage check area. (laughs) But yeah, you know, sometimes like you could be the best leader that you try to be and you're doing all these things that we're talking about. And that other person still may not feel that it's safe. And that's beyond your control at that point right? Like they have some of their own work that they need to do in order to take you at face value, right? To, to hear the evidence that you're saying, um, about how you view them. And with those, when you have an employee like that, I've had employees like that. Um, it's really challenging. And the most important thing that you can do is to keep repeating things that would help them know that you mean what you say. Yeah. And then patience too. Yeah. And then take a look at those in-between moments, right? Like, are you the one firing off the 2 a.m. email expecting, you know, an immediate response? Well, that doesn't feel safe for a lot of folks, you know? Well, I think that, you know, you haven't, I don't think you've used the word a lot. It probably falls into your assumptions and biases. But this concept we talk about a lot here is the blind spots of leaders. And so many of them are in the in-betweens. In the, in the basic stuff, they're getting it mostly right. But there's this little thing that happens over here that they weren't thoughtful about. They were reactive about. They didn't pay attention to. Because I hear these regularly from friends and people I know. They'll say, let me tell you a story. And they'll tell me, I go, oh, my God, did they really say that? 
And I'll say, yeah, they did, because they probably had no idea that what they just created, they missed that moment. And it was not ill-intended at all. Now, it might be reflective of their values. (laughs) And this is interesting, because you talk about theater, and I guess, how often are leaders performing well, but not leading well? Hmm. Right. You know, I think that a leader's performance is typically measured off of the performance of their team. And there's a lot of leaders who step in and help get, you know, a deal across the line or, you know, step in and um, help do some of the work of their team because that's the main kind of measurement. And, you know, recently I was I was kind of writing about a notion of a, a leadership performance improvement plan and how we really need those. And they should only be focused on leadership skills. They should have nothing to do with the metrics that their team creates. It should be all about the way that they interact with their team members, the environment that they create, and with the results being secondary of, you know, that their team gets. And everybody needs one. Yes. It's not just people who are quote unquote, poor performers. Everybody needs to, everybody wants to grow, feel like they're progressing. Once they stop, that's when they check out. Right. Now but you, you talk a lot about engagement. What, where do you see those key engagement factors coming into play? So I use the term engagement mostly because I have a, an HR background. And so engagement mm-hmm. is a, is a key HR kind of metric and term. Right. And, and over time, I've just realized that the, the true value of those engagement surveys or culture surveys and the intentions behind a lot of the questions that are being asked, like, you know, I feel like I have someone who cares about me at work Mm -hmm. or, you know, I feel like my manager listens to my concerns, right? There's so much, there's a wealth of really helpful data in there around the kinds of behaviors that people are expecting and whether or not they are seeing those behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about engagement, at first, my brain goes to that, like, are people actually saying, Hey, yes, you are doing those things. And I do feel valued and I do feel part of this, but engagement also happens in those in-between moments. Are people speaking up within meetings? Are they asking questions? Are they notifying you of errors or, or issues? Um, you know, those kinds of things are all engagement examples. And once you have people who kind of just go mute and don't communicate anymore, then you've got some of your first signs of a problem. So Katie, let me ask you a specific engagement question, especially in the context of remote workforce. You were talking about how the last probably 10 to 15 years, I'm guessing, most of the surveys are saying that a key factor engagement is having that close, that friend at work. Now people are saying, well, people are working remotely. Oh my God, they won't have a friend at work. My premise is they may not need a friend at work anymore because they're getting that kind of relational support remotely through friends and family. I'm curious, what's your response to that? And beyond that, what are your thoughts about how remote working is is maybe changing what it means to be engaged at work? Yeah, so it is a challenge, remote work and engaging a team. 
you know, I don't, I haven't thought about that, that question specifically, but I, I do think that our relationship with the workplace is changing. And part of the, the reason why that I have a friend at work question, it has been such a, an important question for so long was that psychologically we're more willing to stay as part of a group where we feel like we're part of a group. And when you have a friend that helps you feel included and, and all of that. But what I've seen over time is that I've made great friends at a lot of these companies that I hated working at. And I've kept those friends. Um, and many of them have like, I've worked with them since at other companies. You know, we've, we've all kind of gone to different places together sometimes. And so I think that the friend question is an effort to say that this is something that would tie you to the company. And that would help us realize that you're going to be more likely to stay for longer. You know, you're less likely to leave. And I think the reasons why people leave are less about, do I have a friend, right? They're more about my relationship with my manager. They're more about, do I have the opportunities that I am looking for? And in this remote work environment, as leaders, we have to do more to engage our teams than we did before. We had a lot more casual interactions that would go towards building a relationship and building our understanding of someone's needs. We don't have those. So we have to be looking, we have to be scheduling and blocking time, and we have to be available. That is a, the biggest shift I think leaders have to make in the remote work world. And that means that some things have to come off of your plate. Yeah. I, I hesitate, but I'm going to ask one more question. I know I want to be respectful of our time. You talked about the plate, and that's something Craig and I hear so regularly. There, like you said, a lot of leaders don't want to be jerks. They don't want to be bad leaders. And they'll say things like, I wish I had more time to spend with my people. I just don't. Now, my knee-jerk reaction is, what the hell are you doing? Because that is actually your job as a yeah. leader. But I don't think that's true today. I think, unfortunately, organizations have sort of changed how they do business. And I think it's pretty legit that most struct most positional leaders have very full plates with, with things that are not about their people. That is the reality. So it's a big disruption to change that. Talk about how you address that reality in the workforce today. So since most of the most of my career has been in startups, I've seen a lot of those leaders just hold on to things on their plate that they really should be delegating. Yeah. And so I think we have to ask ourselves the question of who's making me hold on to this on my plate? Is it actually the pressures of the organization uh, and the expectations of my senior leaders? Or is it that I'm not willing to delegate this? because I don't have the right people, because I don't feel like I can trust them, because I have control issues and need it done my way, right? Like we have to be asking ourselves those different questions and just actually genuinely questioning, what am I here to do if it is not for my team? That's a fantastic insight, Katie. That, that makes so much sense that, you know, oftentimes they have stuff on their plate that they, they don't need to have on there. And a big piece of that, I think, comes from the fact that we 
for so long have been promoting the folks that are the highest performers. And so they keep some of those side projects mm. and they keep them for their whole career, right? Because they're really good at these different work products. When, right. you know, to your point, Jeff, like leaders are there to lead people. And that's sometimes very different than your top performing, you know, individual. But, uh, Katie, this is so rich. I, I really wish it could continue. Um, I hope you hear that sincerely, because I, I feel like this could go on for hours. And uh, may, perhaps it will in a different venue or in a different time. Uh, we always, as we wrap up, we always want to let our guests have an opportunity to promote or highlight anything that's going on for them. What is that for you, Katie? Yeah, so the big thing, I have also loved this conversation and would be glad to chat more. Um, so the the big thing I want to offer to to anybody who's listening is I've got a free workbook on how you can optimize your response to those culture surveys, how you can use that to show your team that you are listening. And so, you know, no matter where you are in the organization, there's nuggets in there for you on how to understand what you're looking at and how you can take action. Gotcha. Wonderful. And how do they access that? Right on my website, McLaughlinMethod.com. I will share all of that. And what's the best way for people to connect with you? I have your email. Is that best or is it social media? What is it for you? Yeah, feel free to email me or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. All righty. And we always wrap up with a question. And my question for you is tell us about the book. Give us that. You mentioned a couple of books today, but give us that book that people need to read in terms of growing their leadership. Big one that I'm recommending lately is what motivates me and of course i don't have it on my desk right now um but what motivates me it's an organization that looked at the deep core motivations of people at work and so you can both understand your motivations and then better understand your team because we all need to be motivated to do things we don't want to do or you know feel sluggish about doing so learning about how to motivate people is my best, my big recommendation. Love that, Katie. So thanks for being here. And thanks, especially for the work you're doing in the world. Uh, create those transformations you talked about. It matters. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, 
avoiding, or seeking, feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.